This episode of AVXL is recorded on November 25th, 2020. We're going to talk about Big Shock Black Friday, some of our favorite deals. One of you sent in links to some legit, actual wireless surround sound speakers. And we got some viewer questions helping out with headphones, speaker selection, and quite a bit more. Don't forget, email ask at AVXL.com if you got a question for us. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I am in speaker moving hell. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, you know when you're trying to find the perfect spot for your speakers, you move them four inches forward, four inches back. I had to pull apart my home theater area because we finally got the couch in there and, you know, had to move the screen and lots of little details. That is a challenge. It's the decor versus the optimal location for the speaker. <laughs> well, it's the decor versus the optimal location for the speaker actually is not particularly problematic for this room, except that, A, I can't move the couch any farther back because of a steel vertical pole that's holding up, you know, a third of the weight of my house. And the fact that I have uh, a big giant concrete wall or cinder block wall uh, directly behind the speakers. So I will probably be building some sound absorption or experimenting with some sound absorption to play with uh, the reflections. The first order reflections coming from the backward radiating sound from the speakers, which are not optimal. Truly. But yeah, it sounds it's... like at this point you should be working around the significant structural aspects of the home. Yeah. Don't uh, but... work with the <laughs> with the pier and piling or work around it, I should say. I looked up the engineering specs for what it would take to actually make this section of the house free and clear from that center pole. And uh, it would require a significantly larger piece of steel than what's currently bridging that gap. <laughs> I'll bet. Until then, work with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's yeah. Is it really holding up that much weight? It's just the kitchen and you know two of the main bedrooms. That sounds like a good um, future remodeling plan, though. Something to keep yeah, in I the shouldn't... back of your mind. Oh no, it's it's uh, you know in that beautiful future date when I I have the you know when we demo the floor in the basement and drop the basement floor two feet down. That'll be a good time to put in that additional beamage. <laughs> So, Excellent. Yeah. You work within the room you got. Mostly what I'm really excited about. I don't know. I, I thought we were going to talk about this week, but I guess we didn't. Uh, you were telling me. Is I got a big old, what's hopefully my now lifetime spool of 12 gauge pure copper cable from Monoprice. What kind did you get? Is it jacketed or is it the clear kind or? This time I went with the clear kind. I didn't do plenum based cable. Yeah. It's literally a massive 300 foot spool of 12 gauge uh, cable. I think I have some of that left, or actually I was using 14 because of the size of the speakers and the speaker stands. Ooh, there you go. Nice. It's heavy. Nice spool. Oh, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent pure copper. Yeah. Oxygen free. Well, it's frustrating because in some cases I'm a little uptight about some of the, some of the one, I'm not an expensive cable person. I just $10,000 speaker cables make me point and laugh and make fun of people in really rude ways. You know, if you have $10,000 and you want a $10,000 speaker cable, by all oh, means. Please. Um, no need. You know, Get good I didn't gauge. say there was a need. The only thing I splurge on are things like banana plugs. If the speakers right. are compatible with it, just to, you know, give it a good look, make sure the connection is tight. And right. generally, there are really good, affordable banana plugs out there I've used from a variety of companies. Monoprice, 
brands you've never heard of on Amazon. I forget which brand I had last, but they were terrific. It came in like a 12 pack or something and it was just nice. It color coded the wires a little more obviously as well at the tips. It made the installation a little, a little easier, a little quicker. There was a really depressing series of uh, responses when Brent Butterworth was basically said, it doesn't matter, just use a banana plug. And people just went off on him for how dare he not look at the advantages to use, you know, audiophile grade super plugs um, to oversummarize. It was uh, it was an interesting series of responses <laughs> from some subjectivists that were convinced that it was critical to have the appropriate banana plug. I, I mean, on one hand, you know, I'm I'm a little leery about where I buy my speaker cable because there are unscrupulous vendors that will do sort of copper clad crap copper clad or non-solid copper wiring that exhibits a significantly higher resistance. And that's a problem uh, if there's enough resistance in your speaker cables. But by the time you get to like 98, 99% copper cables, the actual difference in the resistance of the cable is minimal. And, and that means you're, you know, you're not going to do anything particularly squirrely to your speakers unless you have like a 300 foot run. Exactly. The only thing I check or double check, especially if it's for in wall installation where I probably will not be able to easily get added again is especially if you can cut this already ahead of time and have the link laid right. out is simply test that cable for not only continuity, but also resistance, especially if you're running pairs of cables, they should be almost identical just to make sure that there is and consistent from cable to cable so that right. you're sure that there isn't some flaw within a spool or something like that. I personally, I don't think I've ever encountered a flaw within spool of cable I've purchased from Monoprice and I've right. gone through s several thousand feet of it <laughs> in my lifetime. That probably doesn't happen very much, but it doesn't take long to grab a multimeter and just check. It's Aggie. You know, that would be an interesting conversation talking about uh, the rating of the speakers versus the amount of resistance that comes in on the cable and how you can actually get yourself into trouble. But a, it's you have to use be using some really crappy cable to do that, uh, and B, that's maybe a larger, <laughs> a larger conversation about. I mean, the, the, a short story too is just that if you are going to do it yourself and buy the cable, twelve gauge is a really good place to hit if that works for the size of speakers you're using. In terms right. of, it's not so much copper you can't even get it in the hole. Right. Or perhaps in my case, I was using a particular set of speaker stands that had very thin armature on it and I couldn't get 12 gauge through it, but 14 gauge went through and I wasn't going very far. So that I felt was appropriate. That 12 gauge American wire gauge is that good standard where you really don't have to go much thicker unless there's a specific need for it. It will give you the best performance at a great price where, you know, yeah. you can make your own and then you can, you know, Tip the wires however you want. Tin them, leave them just as is. <laughs> Put banana plugs on them. But otherwise, yeah. It's just another one of the scenarios, too, where it's like, if there's ever a question about the cable, replace it. Yeah. it it's so affordable. It's recyclable. <laughs> <laughs> please, please recycle your old cable. Goodness. But yeah, I'm going to be uh, rewiring some stuff and doing some more permanent wiring. My ceiling in here is still a nightmare, but... Uh, it is a nightmare with downward firing Atmos speakers. Uh, you know, if I do up firing Atmos speakers, the testing for that will be in the living room or I'll have to modify that ceiling, which uh, 
Reminds me of an email I just sent today. Oh my goodness. Subwoofers, which have been out of stock, are back in stock. Uh, Shoes VTF2 Mark V. It's their entry-level subwoofer, which will outperform the vast majority of subwoofers in the world by a staggering amount when you're looking at uh, CEA 2010 measurements. Uh, this is a beast of a subwoofer. It's uh, $539. Uh, they do a deal. They'll do uh, a pair of them for $1,029, which I bring up, you know, if you are investing in a home theater and you have the ability to stash two subwoofers in that room instead of one, you will get, uh, it will eliminate a lot of the issues with the room response to the subwoofers and they will make positioning the subwoofer more forgiving compared to a single subwoofer in the room. The other two that are back in stock, RSL's uh, Speedwoofers are back in stock. Those are a 10-inch subwoofer with pretty high performance. They, they refer to it as the 10-inch subwoofer that behaves like a 12-inch subwoofer. I think there were consonants in that last statement. But uh, those are particularly good. I use one of those uh, with my monitors on my desktop, and it's a really fantastic musical subwoofer that will still also do a good job in a home theater. It will not have as much low-end oomph in the car crashes, for example, uh, or the depth charges as that shoe, but it's a nice subwoofer. And they are filling in pre-orders right now because they ran out of subwoofers in October. But if you order, they will fill your order ASAP. Those are $400, $450 with a wireless uh, adapter, which is pretty slick. I actually just bought one of their wireless adapters for the Speedwoofer that I own. Uh, another subwoofer worth mentioning that's actually on sale for Black Friday is Monoprice's THX certified lineup. They have the 15-inch and 12-inch Ultra Certified, which comes to a slightly higher spec in terms of performance than their 10-inch THX Select Certified subwoofers. Those all have built-in amplifiers, but they're basically offering uh, 10 to 14% off, so about 100 plus, 100 or 100 plus dollars off of each of those. The 15-inch subwoofer is an absolute beast. If you have the room that cannot be filled with subwoofer, this is the subwoofer that will fill that room. The measurements of those. on it are, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will also say this is the only subwoofer I've ever tested. The 12-inch THX Ultra Certified I went in for testing. It is the only subwoofer I have not been able to move comfortably without the use of a dolly. Uh, the thing weighs like upwards of 100 pounds. Oof. The product manager at Monoprice uh, went to the manufacturer that built these for them and Basically, they worked out. They did, he just said, "I'm giving you carte blanche to build whatever you need to build to do this." So these are hefty, overbuilt, cross braced, fairly beastly subwoofers. Uh, they are not particularly decor friendly. You know, I actually think the 12 inch would make a fairly good side table. <laughs> if I would be worried about drinks vibrating off the top of it in certain scenes and certain movies. If you need a lot of subwoofer to fill a room, uh, the monoliths from Monoprice, the THX certified ones, or those uh, VTF Mark Fives from Shoe will do amazing yeoman work. Limit 20 per customer. <laughs> For all three of those speakers from Monoprize, they're listing well over 4.0 reviews out of five. Most yeah. folks are get throwing down five stars and, and being highly impressed with the bass. <laughs> I was in Costco, I think, and there was like, they have subwoofers. And it's like, well, yeah, any, any subwoofer is probably better than no subwoofer. But the reality is, is there are some companies that all they do uh, is subwoofers. Exactly. And the products you've mentioned, too, are, I would say, three of the best to consider first, or at least have them. Yeah. 
Don't ignore them. They do what they do very, very well. Yeah. It's an investment. I have like an 18-year-old shoe subwoofer, and its measured performance is still better than a lot of the subwoofers from speaker manufacturers. RSL is primarily speaker manufacturer, but the speed woofers are kind of legendary. Monoprice went out and committed to having something very seriously made. But if you look at like Shoe and SVS and RSL and Monoprice, uh, the reviews are pretty much outstanding everywhere. They measure well. Uh, you know, and I will say Shoe and SVS, for example, are companies that really have some excellent work being done there. We were talking about matching speakers too a week yeah. or two ago, and I think with the subwoofer, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, so but much. yeah, exactly. So that's where, you know, if that is the weak point in your current setup, you're actually pretty happy with the, you know, the mids and the highs coming from everything right. else, and you just need the thump that you're, <laughs> that you desire, then these brands are just top notch. Any one of these is, in my opinion, very desirable. And they all have the controls to allow you to sort of, you know, figure out where, you know, the, you, you know, an LS50 is a fantastic speaker and you can rock out to it. Kef did an amazing job. However, if you have a subwoofer kicking in at 80 or 100 hertz, it will do a better job with the low end thump uh, on a lot of your favorite audio or your, your favorite soundtracks. I have a set of Kef LSXs on this desktop and they're fantastic. They're better with a subwoofer filling in the low end. You know, right. bookshelf speakers, they are better with a subwoofer filling in the low end. I'm just going to say that. Vizio's Elevate, uh, something we're hoping to review. That's finally in stock. Not at third-party places that I've seen, but on Vizio.com. They're selling it for $300 off. Uh, it's normally, uh, it lists the MSRP, and that was $1,000, but they're selling it for $699.99. Sweet. I wonder if possibly because it took so long for them to get them in stock. Dan Clark, uh, formerly Mr. Speakers, makes some of the best audiophile headphones I've ever heard. Uh, I own a pair of their Aeon, the original Aeons, and pretty much everything they make is phenomenal. Uh, the Ether and the Voce, they're doing 15% off pretty much their entire lineup if you're looking for some high-end open or closed-back headphones. Cambridge Audio's Melomania, which is a fantastic sounding in-ear with a ridiculous battery life. Some people don't find them particularly comfortable because they're very earpluggy, but they also do a lot of background noise attenu attenuation, which I appreciate. Uh, I will flat out say the mic sucks. They are atrocious for using for phone calls, but if you're for music, they are great. Uh, I, I come from the, if I really need to make a phone call, I'll just pull the earplug out of my ear. There are days when I wish they had a good mic in them, but they are great for music, uh, solid battery life. They're 80 bucks right now, like 20% off. Uh, one more has a bunch of Amazon Prime deals. Their triple drivers are 15% off. Those aren't a particularly neutral headphone. There's a little bump to the lows and the highs, but they can be fun if you don't turn them up too high. Monoprice is Monolith THX AAA Balanced Headphone Amplifier. That's almost 18% off. That's, in terms of measurements, that's one of the best headphone amplifiers you're ever going to see. They also have a $100 Cavalli amplifier. That's, uh, it also measures incredibly well. DAC, not so good. Or no, the, yeah, I should double check that. Uh, some of Cavalli stuff is really amazing. 
I also want to give a shout out to JDS Labs. Uh, their Atom headphone amp and DAC are not on sale, but they are normally $99. And those will actually outperform a lot of gear that is significantly more expensive. Their Element 2, by the way, is a combination of a headphone amp and a DAC. It's what I use on my desktop. It's uh, $50 off if you get the B-Stock version. I have B-Stock on my desk. I don't know why it's B-Stock. I think maybe because the anodizing on the CNC case is not as black as it should be. Maybe. Um. <laughs> Seems to be cosmetic at the, at worst. <laughs> yeah. They will not sell gear that does not perform to their standards. They will, however, sell you a scratched enclosure. I want to say, going back to one more real quick, my triple drivers, I believe the microphone and the phone control built into the cord on that has always worked really well for me. That's one oh, thing I've, I've never had a problem with there. There you have it. Not wireless, but highly functional. No. <laughs> that is something I... I will probably get sooner or later. I'm not in a hurry for that, though. I generally just put the phone to my head, and otherwise I'm using speakerphone for a lot of things when it comes to my mobile audio. Although, if I'm using it for music, then, yeah. Pick my earbuds of choice and bring them with. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Voodoo and Fandango now are doing some uh, movie bundle sales or movie sales uh, for digital downloads or digital movies on their services. I just want to say, just buy a Blu-ray, damn it. Especially because right now, uh, Target and Best Buy, and uh, for that matter, Blu-ray movies on Amazon are almost always pretty cheap. But Target and Best Buy uh, seem to have a bunch of stock, more stock than usual, stuffed into their stores. We were, we were in a Target the other day, my wife and I, um, sneaking in before it got crowded. And you could see where they were reconfiguring certain areas. And they seem to be bringing in a bunch of uh, Blu-ray and to a much lesser degree, uh, 4K Ultra HD stuff. Uh, in the store my local walmart actually has a pretty good bin of just whatever it's a mix of everything but they have it broken up into different prices uh it's starting at, i think like right. less than five bucks for some stuff but that's always fun just to look through if i'm ever in there just checking things out and seeing if any 200 plus 55 inch tv can impress me really <laughs> or do i or do i just simply put that one outside that's the outdoor set Denon's AVR S758's its wire cutters pick for an entry level uh, 7.2 AV receiver is back in stock at Best Buy. And let me double check on Amazon.com because this is one that was out of stock for a while and it's really a fantastic AVR for the money. And yes, it is in, also in stock on Amazon.com. Uh, 3700H, which is their... Uh, entry-level receiver, AV receiver that can do four-channel Atmos, which is what I'm running at home, is also back in stock on Amazon. So that's good. Inventory is actually getting back. I didn't think the Denon uh, 750H AVR was going to be in stock until the end of December, so that's kind of cool that that's available. Nice. As much as I don't like buying movies online, although I have bought quite a few over the years between Apple TV and a couple other platforms, I do love Bandcamp. Uh, which is an online service that manages music sales for mostly indie bands. And I've replaced uh, or bought a couple of difficult-to-find CDs from the Lost Bayou Ramblers and Trampled by Turtles, flack downloads. Again, you know, much like movies that you download, you have to not lose the download, which involves backing things up and paying attention to your collection. True. When you're looking at buying a CD that was from an independent that never did a huge run and it's $125 for the CD or you can get the lossless flack files for like 20 bucks. That's a really easy and 
more the money actually goes or the money actually goes to the artist. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind they, of a, they, they highlighted at the very top of their page, their fair trade music policy. And yeah. I think that's pretty cool. And highlighted is that fans have paid artists and independent labels $623 million using Bandcamp and $18.5 million in the last 30 days alone. So, I should also point out that that was this that album's a good not resource. Twenty dollars. That was like I think I paid nine or ten dollars for each of those albums. So that's um, a great resource if you're into music like that, where it's it, it was done independently, and yeah. here's a way to find it and grab it. You're not going to find an ACDC album there. No, <laughs> no. But you know, it's a thought. It's crazy. Uh, Best Buy got hammered this time q3 last year while COVID is destroying lives and breaking happiness everywhere at best buy revenues up 17.5 percent uh at the same time last year q3 they were down almost 21 percent part of the reason it's been difficult to buy certain things this year is because people are stuck at home and buying more home theater and audio gear and web cameras their pickup service is terrific just being able to order online go right to the store and be socially distanced and make it very easy just to get in and out real quick for something you know you want i appreciate it uh man uh if you're trying to buy a console uh you're well i think polygon described it more graciously than i would quote shipping consoles isn't the problem there just aren't enough of them that's 2020 summed up right there for popular items and electronics there's a really interesting write a quote they had from uh nielsen the research firm that gaming is, quote, at an all-time high during COVID-19. Understandably, many of these gamers want the new consoles. The Best Buy executive said Tuesday on a quarterly earnings call, the demand for the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 consoles has been, quote, heightened, unquote, due to quarantine measures keeping people at home. Gaming is up. One of the, the executives at Microsoft basically said, we're like two years ahead of where we thought we would be in terms of sort of growth or popularity in six months, like just because people are locked at home and looking for something to do. No surprise, really. And I will yeah. throw out that in other PlayStation 5 and Xbox news, the delightful Vincent Tio over at HDTV Test actually did some calculations and measurements using the current PS5 and the new Xbox Series X console to determine what their max bandwidth is over a quote-unquote 48 gigabit link through HDMI 2.1. And I'll just quote his analysis here. We analyzed the HDMI 2.1 output from the PlayStation 5 and found that its maximum bandwidth that it can deliver at 4K60 or 4K120 is currently 32 gigabit per second, which is lower than the 40 gigabit per second HDMI 2.1 bandwidth currently enabled on the Xbox Series X. And he then provides a series of calculations that do add up. Effectively, at 4K60, it's going to be 12-bit RGB. And if it goes up to 4K120, it'll still be at 12-bit, but the color gets compressed to 422 instead of being pure RGB, still equaling a total of 32 gigabit per second. Now, does this matter in the end visually? Maybe. This is such an extreme level, though, in terms of the frame rate versus color. And given the processing of the TV, theoretically, it should be able to recreate something that looks very close to what RGB is in terms of if you took a compressed color standard, like, say, 422 and reconstituted it internally, which the TV does and turns that into a 444 signal. I found it interesting that neither console is actually fully saturating that HDMI 2.1 connection yet. 
And it's interesting, I'm kind of curious to see now, if they will ever upgrade this or be able to upgrade this, or if they will even need to really in the end. But if you're looking to do that 4K 120 at 12-bit, at full RGB or 444 Chroma, it doesn't appear that either console is actually technically capable of that right now. Again, this is just a technical thing. We'll see if it actually matters one whit in the end. Let's just hope uh, everyone's getting good firmware updates for their TVs, their AVRs, and their game consoles, so all of these devices play nicely together. Make them play nice together. Telling you, man. That Nuvaton chipset. I think everyone's using it. (laughs) Upsetting everyone for reasons we have discussed in detail. Michael emailed askatavxl.com. He writes, just thought I'd mention a soundbar for the listener who is asking about wireless Atmos options. My living layout is awful for trying to set up rears, so I pretty much always use some version of a virtual Atmos experience. JBL released a bar this past year that has detachable battery-powered rears. Skimming the review shows mostly positive takes. It's called the JBL 9.1 Soundbar, or its full name is the JBL Bar 9.1 True Wireless Soundbar. No, True Wireless Surround. (laughs) With Dolby Atmos, obviously that does not roll off the tongue. Uh, JBL, professional audio company, they do a lot of consumer stuff. They generally do some fantastic design work, which we appreciate. Um, They're powered monitors. They have some powered monitors uh, you can pick up at Guitar Center or online that are fantastic for a desktop speaker. Um, 10 hours of playback for the wireless surrounds. Built-in Dolby Atmos DTSX with four up-firing speakers in the surround bar or the, uh, the sound bar. Selling for $800 at Best Buy and Amazon. That is in stock. And Michael, thank you for the heads up on that. Not, you know, it's up-firing Atmos, but right. it is Atmos. They do have some wireless uh, surround sound speakers for that. Mike, not Michael, emailed acidavxl.com. Hi guys, this is more for Patrick. I've had the Sennheiser HD 600 headphones for almost two years and I still absolutely love them, but there are times that I want to be totally removed from what's going on around me. I believe you said that you have the AudioQuest Nighthawks. By the look of it, the Night Owl is AudioQuest's closed back version of the Nighthawk. Do you have any experience with these? I'm just looking for something not too much above the $500 mark that removes me from the outside world. Mike B. I, uh, I do have experience with the Night Owl. It's a slightly different uh, tuning. It's more treble-heavy. Uh, and I, I wrote in my show notes, to make the bitchy audiophile headphone whiners happy, which is me being obnoxious. But I actually had somebody white-knuckle grabbing a table at a dinner conversation at a headphone event, maybe not screaming, but yelling, they're when I was praising the neutrality and accuracy of the Nighthawks. I mean, like me actually deciding which wall in the room I would back up to uh, when the fight started kind of aggressiveness. People get really passionate about audio. People get really aggro about headphones uh, in online communities. I mention all that because while the Night Owl is fairly neutral, I don't think it is quite as neutral as the Nighthawks. And the, the Nighthawks were just the sort of epitome of a of a neutral, accurate, comfortable really fantastic headphone for me. Uh, I have a lot of love for that headphone. I find open back designs sound accurate, but they don't give me the sound I really like. (laughs) I am more of a closed back headphone person. It could also simply be for the environments I'm in too that are less conducive to quiet listening environments. (laughs) There's usually something going on. So it's more about the isolation and and my ability to focus on what it is I'm hearing without distraction from, from things potentially around me. 
And that's legit. I mean, the Nighthawks are technically open back, but it's more like an inch of the back is open versus something like the okay. Sennheiser HD 600, where it is a lot of open space. Sony's MDR 7506s are fairly neutral. They block external noise. Uh, the soundstage isn't as good, I think, as what you're used to with those HD 600s. They do a really good job of dropping noise above three or 400 hertz, but all the bass is going to pass through. Biodynamics DT770 is a studio headphone. I use these almost exclusively for years. They're still one of my favorite headphones of all time. I was laughing earlier because I was watching a video of uh, a musician wearing these, and I'll talk about that because I've, I've been giggling as I've seen some of my favorite headphones showing up in videos of some of my favorite musicians. You know, they're fairly neutral. Uh, they will let a little less bass through than the 7506. We're talking about like at least... 5, 8, 10 dBs of attenuation, which is pretty significant. They they make it... The kids have to be really close to you for the kids to annoy you with those in. Perfect. The original uh, Mr. Speaker's Dan Clark uh, Aeon sealed or closed back headphones are extraordinary performers. They're fairly cheap. They're under $400 now used on eBay. The new Aeon 2 is normally like $900, but they're 15% off right now. It's a little more spendy than you want, but the original Aeons are a steal right now, and their performance is amazing. If you really want to kill all the noise, uh, your two primary options are active noise cancellation headphones, which can have good or bad audio, depending on which brand you go with. And in a lot of cases, they're much, much better at taking care of the low-end frequencies, like the noise of my diesel truck, or more accurately, they're they're tuned more for reducing the background noise of an airplane. They are not as good at reducing the sounds of your children babbling at each other or dropping things in the next room. In-ears can be amazing. Pretty affordable Shure's SC215s, they're going to drop most of the audible sounds around you, across the audio spectrum. I think there's one sort of spike in the test that I saw for those, but they'll drop like 20 dBs of uh, noise around you. Yeah, um, that's what in-ears do the best. I have a yes. pair of old Shures back from circa 2005, the E4Cs that I still have, and I bought them with a bag of foam earplug-like tips that Shure made for those, and they're disposable. So when you wear out a pair of like foam ear tips, you just simply pop them off and throw on another set. But the isolation is incredible. Yeah. I found it nerve-wracking if I was out in public because it's that good. It's like, I am not going to hear anything around me. But at home, in a more isolated listening environment where you're you're not worried about foot traffic or real traffic. <laughs> right. I've never had a better isolated listening experience than with a pair of in-ears at all. That's just the best. If you can get them to fit yeah. right. And that's where I really did appreciate the foam tip option that Shore right. had. I, hopefully they still offer that. I still have a bag of like a couple hundred of those little tips. Just so, you know, eh, for that time I, I whip it out. <laughs> I've also had very good customer service with Shure. They're based out of Illinois. Hopefully, I think they still are. They still are. That company has always been just responsive, and I always walk away smiling if I ever have an issue with anything. Their background is professional audio. Uh, I've, I've met a bunch of the people there. They're nice folks. They Most of their products are fantastic. They also do a bunch of stuff where you can get custom in-ear molds that are amazing. Oh, yeah. I always laugh because for years I used uh, Edomotix ER4s and their bass response, they kind of, they don't fall off a cliff, but they drop off a lot in a way that I no longer find uh, 
tolerable in terms of base performance or low end performance, but their mid to highs are absolutely fantastic. And those are crazy because they use a sort of a triple layer silicone tip that plugs into your ear. Those will drop 37 decibels of noise from around you. And I remember using those in a machine shop instead of the earmuffs in the machine shop because they were so much better at blocking out the grinding noise from a set of shock mounts I was working on. <laughs> that, and I've always appreciated, I, I don't know if all Shure models are like this nowadays, but at least with the ones I have, they were rather small in terms of the driver size that goes into yeah. your ear. I could literally sleep with these things on with my head tilted to the side and not feel mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm shoving a giant <laughs> piece of cauliflower into my ear <laughs> as I try to sleep. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a fair reaction. In a sense, if you're wearing like earmuffs or like a helmet or something. Right. It made it very easy for that as well. They also do replaceable cables, which is really nice and kind of that sort of professional audio heritage kind of background. True. If you've ever destroyed uh, headphone cables, earphone cables, um, it's nice that you can replace the cables should you manage to trash them. Just a thought. If you want to kill all the noise, in-ears are pretty amazing. And uh, sure, it's SE215 uh, or 215 are available currently on Amazon. Delightful. Goodness. Andrew emailed ask at avxl.com. He says, I'm looking to get your opinion about changing my speaker setup. I currently have a 7.1 layout using all first-gen Pioneer Andrew Jones bookshelf side speakers. I am looking to purchase a new receiver and would like to upgrade to an Atmos setup. Would it make sense to take my two rear channel speakers and use them for the ceiling, ending up with a 5.1.2 Atmos configuration? This way I could avoid buying additional speakers, or would you recommend going with a new set that are intended as ceiling speakers? I know bookshelf speakers will look a bit bulky hanging from the ceiling, but I'm not worried about looks. Thanks for your time, Andrew. Uh, I would certainly be tempted, but you know, as has probably become obvious to anyone who's been listening for years, uh, I have some feral audio issues. <laughs> I just, you know, let's do it this way. Uh, I do prefer speakers, uh, Atmos speakers on the ceiling when possible. I also say if you don't do four Atmos channels, you might want to keep the additional rear channels from your original speaker setup. Because one of the things that happens when you do four channels, Atmos, two are in front of you, two are in behind you. The two behind you kind of compensate for not having the six and seven uh, channels in a 7.1 uh, versus 5.1 uh, setup. In this case, it's like it would be cool to try that out because it is using speakers you already have. Yeah. And my only concern would be if it doesn't work out, would it be easy enough to undo this setup and then go for some in ceilings? That would be just one thought I'd have in the back of my head. It's like, Hey, it, go for it. You have it. Right. Try it out. Try that alternative configuration. Like you mentioned where, Hey, you know what? Instead of five, one, two, you can do seven, one, two or something like that. Right. Throw a few more in there, but throw them all in there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, heads up, Pioneer does make the SP-T22A-LR, which are add-on up-firing speakers that would basically sit right on top of your existing bookshelf speakers. Those are like huh. $200 on Amazon. They also make the SP-BS22A-LR, which are 290 bucks on Amazon. Those are Dolby Atmos-enabled bookshelf speakers. So you can get those have up firing two channels of up firing atmos and replace your front left uh and right speakers and move the ones you now have to another location in the house because you can have more better music elsewhere um <laughs> those are beautifully matched up firing speakers for those particular andrew jones speakers and yeah that's kind of nice i didn't even realize they had that 
I will keep that, that in the came, back of my I, mind. I don't know if Andrew Jones designed those, but because right. uh, they would have come, I believe, after he left uh, Atmos, or I should say after he left uh, Pioneer for ELAC, but it is something to think about. Cool. Upfiring speakers, they do need a clear shot to the ceiling, so if they're shoved in a bookshelf, the upfiring speakers sitting on top of your bookshelf speakers are not going to work, uh, and you need a fairly flat ceiling. Uh, popcorn ceilings and cathedral or otherwise ceilings can create issues with upfiring at most speakers. You had some thoughts on streaming bit rates. Well, we got to talking last week about HBO Max and how right. basically HBO is now consolidating all of their streaming services to the HBO Max app which I think is great for all of us. It's less confusing. But we got sure. talking about bit rates. And currently HBO Max, and I may be wrong about this, but I believe they're only going up to 1080p at this point. But they were doing some pretty impressive bit rates, uh, right. upwards of 13 plus megabit per second for these video streams. While that number sounds great, I always go back to that last article posted on the Netflix blog about their latest optimization for ramping up bit rates and being able to do effectively equal or better quality at even lower bit rates. How do you compare that in a more apples to apples way where you can sure. do do a measurement of some kind? And that's where suddenly I'm hoping some of the tech that Netflix has developed for doing this very kind of measurement where it's like, okay, here's how we were doing it before. And this gives us a score of, say, out of 10, it gives us a 7.3. And if we do it the new way with even less bit rate, guess what? We're improving the quality to eight or nine. Right. I think you need more than just bit rate to tell you the quality of a stream at any given resolution. The resolution is well, almost secondary. Right. I appreciate good bit rate because you can do more with it. But at the same point, what's the quality of that compression? Part of what started that conversation last week was I saw an article on flatpanelshd.com. And before that, I had looked at uh, the the what I'll, I'll call it the long night, but it's that battle in season eight of Game of Thrones. It had been a I'll call it a cluster hump to use a family friendly term that hopefully no children are listening to that have to have it explained to their you know the original broadcast of that. And we talked about it extensively. It was muddied. It was over compressed. It looked like it was shot for HDR and then over compressed in that way that HBO did for HBO Now and HBO Go. I had so many phone calls after that episode broadcast about people calling me up thinking their TVs were screwed up. And right. I'm just like, show me what you're seeing. And then they, they fire up that episode and start playing it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah hey, that's not you. That's the source device. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that happened, they launched HBO Max. There's no 4K. There's no HDR. It was interesting for me because I was watching that particular episode and there were things like, you know, not to have any spoilers, but there's a battle. It's at night. There's a bunch of people in front of a castle and there's a big plain. And at the far end of the plain, there's mountains and it's night. And if you've ever been near mountains at night or seen them in the distance, there's a bit of, you know, if there's any kind of light, it reflects off the snow on the top of the mountains because it's winter. And in this case, there was this sort of smirchy brown blur in the original version. And in the one on HBO Max, you could, for example, make out the details of the mountain range in the distance. Better than the original stream, but yeah. still not quite to the quality of something like what I had been waiting for for that particular series was the 4K ultra high def HDR release of that series, which is Sitting the only thing I want to see. 
<laughs> sitting over there next to my Blu-ray player that does not do 4K HDR. So I need to go to Best Buy. Um, <laughs> I need to go to Best Buy after this to pick up a 4K HDR so we can continue this conversation. Yep. But it was it was not HDR. It was not you know, it was not no, delivering no, the I, sort of dynamic pop I would expect from HDR. But it was way better than it had been in the original broadcast, which made me wonder like, did they re-render this stuff for HBO Max? And what this article on FlatPanelsHD.com was suggesting is that they were looking at the bandwidth that was coming off of HBO Max and seeing sort of 7 to 10 peaking at uh, 13 to 14 megabits per second. And this is stock MPEG-4 ABC. And when they had looked at the same titles back in the day on HBO Now and HBO Go were something like 4 to 5 megabits per second for 1080p and even lower in Europe. That was the kind of launch for that conversation because I think it's it's kind of I think it's been a universal complaint that HBO Go or HBO Now have been stingy with the bandwidth. Understood. More compressed than I think they really, you know. I mean, they're they're a company, they're there to make money, but really, how much is this bandwidth costing you? And could you please, please, <laughs> please be a little less stingy? I consider Netflix the gold standard, though, in terms of going through their content and making yeah. it better and better and better as time goes by in terms of yeah. bitrate efficiency and performance and color and, and just the quality overall. And I'll throw a link to that Netflix tech blog article we talked about back in August. Wow. Time's mm -hmm. flying of their optimized shot based encodes for 4K. It was a, it's a really cool article that actually does include the metrics they're using for quality as well as some examples of how the bitrate has improved to get to these better qualities in addition mm -hmm. to some visual comparisons too between the old way and the new way. It's very compelling if you haven't read that article already. That's what I expect other companies, premium streamer providers, when they step up, I think this is just as important Yeah, to keep hammering on making it more efficient and easier with these available bit rates we have nowadays to do really compelling, not only 1080p, but yeah, 4K and HDR too. Yeah. And, and if you yeah. don't own a damn antenna, <laughs> pick one up for 10 bucks. I'm going to call that my early stocking stuffer. You can always find a good flat antenna for 10 bucks if you don't already have one or something better. Like our neighbor across the street has the old school UHF VHF antenna still on the roof. On the roof. I am so jealous. I want that. <laughs> They've just about disappeared from most homes nowadays, and older homes at least. And you they rarely do a fantastic see one of job. Oh, if you have one of those, that's a <laughs> super receiver. You'll pull in all the cool channels if you're in range. You got to start garage sailing, dude. <laughs> dude, uh, my storage unit is hilarious. I just need to keep grinding at it and <laughs> selling stuff. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful thing. Too much it's stuff. A thing. Yeah, that's a, a theme I have in this basement right now. I've been sorting and reorganizing things, which has been a nightmare. But soon I will have all of the speakers back on the ceiling where they belong. Yes. Excellent, man. I'm in some calibration hell right now. I'm working on a new beta version of Calman, and I'm checking uh -huh. that out. And I'm trying to narrow down an issue I'm having with one of my particular meters. And at this point, I'm, I'm kind of eyeballing, thinking the meter needs a checkup. So... I got to set up an appointment for the meter, which will, <laughs> which hopefully will go smooth in the time of COVID. But either way, my beloved hardware needs a little checkup. Uh oh. <laughs> I want the fast meter. I don't want the slow meter. Uh, the slow meter is great. I love it, but I, I, I don't want to be there all day. Meter. Yes. Why don't you want to be there all day? 
Why, why not take four hours instead of two? <laughs> hey, some clients do buy me lunch or dinner. That's kind of nice. It's like, you're going to be here a while. What do you want? <laughs> it's like, thank you. How about business class like air travel overseas mm, with lie flat seats? Things I haven't done in an awfully long time. Oh, well, it feels like I don't know when I'll, I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. Breathe. It's, it's the holiday. <laughs> I've got some new drivers to check out, some hardware to hammer on, and I might even do a little gaming. I picked up Doom Eternal on sale. I don't oh. know if I like it. I really, really liked Doom 2016. The right. soundtrack alone for that was fan-freaking-tastic. This is a slight change to the play style of the previous Doom 2016 for Doom Eternal. Still a fun, fast game that runs like a bat out of hell on just about any hardware, which is something I always appreciate, too. Slick, slick frame rates. Oh, so many frame rates. <laughs> I don't know what that statement means, but... Oh. I also have a box from a friend of mine who was a Bitcoin miner. I just bought two of his old 1082 Ooh. TIs to update our gaming machines here because oh. I don't think graphics cards are going to be available anywhere other than eBay in my lifetime at this point. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those. I thought you were mining coins suddenly. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Mine away. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. I had a friend of mine who had a setup so serious, he actually had to replace the mains panel in his house. Oh, I think um, I met this friend in Vegas one time. And I won't in Vegas say one time. I think you did, too. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing. Submarines? Like, Maybe. <laughs> I can either confirm or deny that claim. Yeah, exactly. He didn't ask to be identified. Ah, uh, uh, that's true. So. That's true. It's a thought. In any case, uh, I will get the 4K HDR Blu-ray machine uh, purchased and installed, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, uh, that Game of Thrones Season 8 debacle and, and what it finally looks like to see it in HDR. While we're talking about Netflix and beautiful video, I want to give a shout-out. Uh, the Crown Season 4, uh, which has, I think, been emotionally traumatic for Prince Charles and Camilla, but... Uh, the more I learn about uh, them and Diana, the less sympathetic I am. No disrespect. Looks absolutely phenomenal. And the Queen's Gambit, it was crazy. Uh, Media Play News uh, reported the, that, according to Netflix, the Queen's Gambit was watched by 62 million households. It was the top 10 in 92 countries, number one in 63 countries. When we were children, before everyone had cable, there were these experiences especially around the Olympics where everyone saw that thing happen on live television and that doesn't exist anymore, but everyone is, is, is pretty much capable and everyone being 240 million households out of the 7 billion people. Uh, not that households and people are the same thing, but it's crazy how good a job Netflix is doing at bringing these entertainment experiences all over the globe. And I will also say bringing not just, you know, British or American, but Japanese and Bollywood uh, and just making it possible to see uh, cinematic experiences from all over the planet, which I really appreciate. And series, by the way, it's pretty cool. Just wanted to, you, you got me thinking about that. Totally. I repurposed my old Roku Ultra into the living room and I realized my roommate hasn't seen Mandalorian yet. They've been locked in the living room now for the last <laughs> day and a half. I think binge watching all of it. That's so, awesome. It's really good. Well. It's really good. And if you're a fan of uh, Timothy Oliphant, man, 
it gets really better in season two for at least one one glorious episode. I'm looking forward to it. I'm slowly picking my way through season two. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. If you enjoy AVXL, uh, do us a favor, subscribe. Uh, go to AVXL.com for all the links. If you really, really like us, do us a favor and support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash AVXL. We're going to do our hangout next week because as I was starting to schedule this hangout, I suddenly remembered that it was uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> And that's a difficult week um, for most people. So we'll do two hangouts in December to make up for uh, the late hangout for November. So Excellent. just to uh, get your Patreon on. So thanks to everybody who participates in that. It helps it uh, helps. Well, basically pays the bills and covers the bandwidth and gives us a little bit of pocket change to uh, to make the show worth our time. Although we'd probably just sit around and talk about this stuff anyway. We just wouldn't record it. <laughs> There is much truth to that that statement. <laughs> it's a thing, people. Oh, my goodness. All right, that's it. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next <laughs> week on AVXL. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> All right.